Global Partners for Development proudly presents What Do You Understand? A deep dive into the many facets of philanthropy and development. Experts in their field will discuss an aspect of their work that they understand particularly well. Let's talk about big bets, innovation, social enterprises, large-scale humanitarian aid, and the fixation on ending things or solving humanity's greatest problems and the issues that arise while tackling it all. I am your host, Rhea Pullen, and my co-host is the Executive Director of Global Partners for Development, Daniel Casanova. Our guest today is Mary Ellen Eskandarian. Mary Ellen is a president and CEO of Women's World Banking, the global nonprofit devoted to giving low-income women in the developing world access to the financial tools and resources they require to achieve security and prosperity. Her book, There's Nothing Micro About a Billion Women, Making Finance Work for Women, was recently published by MIT Press. Mary Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Your, your smile is... Um... Is, is contagious. I wanted to smile because you smile. <laughs> it's working. Was I saying things that just was ticking you a little bit? <laughs> well, why don't we do get into? I mean, so yeah. do you want to? What? What? I mean, was it, was the motivation to write the book like your board had been bugging you to write a book for a really long time? <laughs> <And> they're like. <laughs> they're like, put it down. That's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> Well, well, it was more that was, that was a lot of motivation for me because I felt yeah. like there was so much that I I was seeing, my colleagues were seeing that I could talk anecdotally about. And, you know, like that story I just told you, so many women told me about educating their kids. But I wanted to see whether what we were seeing really held up, you know, in the in the research, whether it tell a bigger story about the work that we were seeing with the individual women. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a bit of a pet peeve, to be honest with you, and it, it kind of shows up in the slightly snarky title, is yeah. it just <laughs> really always bugged me. We talked about microfinance for yeah. you know, half of the world's population, you know, and that it somehow has to be small and precious. And I, I just felt that there was so much power in the people that I was meeting um, that was just untapped and being able to, um, you know, to capture some of that, not only the, the you know, the really tremendous commercial opportunity, um, Oliver Wyman estimates that there's a $700 billion annual revenue opportunity being left on the table, just because we're not a parody, but not saying even all of those women being served, just as many women as men, um, yeah. you know, $700 billion, that's like, total revenue of the world's eight largest banks. I mean, it's a, wow. lot, it's a lot of money. It's twice Elon Musk's net worth. You know, <laughs> um, the other thing that was really exciting to me recently was the IMF has really started talking about financial inclusion as you know, a word they, they've made up, but I'll use it, macro. <laughs> it's an absolutely critical driver of growth. But if you don't include women, if you don't include the least in, you know, the least included, then you're only going to exacerbate inequality. So inclusive mm -hmm. growth literally is impossible without including women. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, I think it's one of the things that really distinguishes us as an organization. And I wanted to bring home is this idea of, of empowerment and what interacting with finance, how that can change a woman's life in, you know, myriad ways. Um, we tend to use a framework that we developed with um, Harvard, um, Marty Chen, 
And she had, had developed this, um, she looked at the different kinds of changes that women went through when they engaged with finance. Um, first would be, you know, just simply material changes. Is there more money in the household? Does the household have more assets? You know, that's the easy one. Then there were sort of cognitive changes. Did she learn anything? Was she more aware of options that were available to her by virtue of interacting? But then I think that the other two are really, really interesting. The, the third are relational changes. How is she perceived in her household? Does she have greater say in household decision-making? There's some research showing that women are more likely to vote and more likely to stand for office if they are financially included. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I was, I was disappointed by is that there really isn't a piece of kind of definitive research that says more access to finance makes women less vulnerable to gender-based violence. There's, it's mm -hmm. still kind of equivocal, at least in the research. I know what I've seen anecdotally, yeah. but I yeah. really you know, would urge researchers to look at this. And then I think the last one, the last set of changes is all about you know, your self-esteem and your sense yeah. of yourself, your sense of your future. And there's been some really powerful examples of that when a woman engages with, with finance. And so I just feel like on those three levels, you know, the macro economy, the business opportunity, and then with the woman herself, it's, it's a great story. So I'm, I'm really pleased that my board gave me the time to, to do it. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Yeah, I mean, I like, you know, one of the things that was, that stood out for me is like, in our, in my work, and it made similar, it's like, empowerment is used so flippantly in so many ways. So I really like that you were actually like, you didn't just like narratively talk about it you you actually had a metric for like the this is what we're talking about when we talk about empowerment and i thought mm -hmm. and that's super useful just because otherwise it just gets bogged down and it's like yeah obviously we should empower people but like yeah. and what does that really mean you know how are we going to do that i so. agree like really and it's almost to the point of cliche so i i course, thank yeah. you for, for noting yeah because there's semantics and there's like actually you know hard like hard line things that you can do to get things done and what does that actually look like? Right, right. Yeah, that's good, cool. Well, I was, I, I have some questions for you in terms of your book, if that's okay, just because yeah, we're no, there. And then, then we're gonna give you our like, our, our buzz thing for what we do on in our interview. But like, I, you know, my, my first, my thought is I, in your end, I think you had a really clear call to action um, that was concise. And also throughout the book, I kept thinking in my mind with my thought was more like, you know, banking, has continued to fail the poorest of people on the planet and even in, and including women is admirable but I kept being like oh you know is it enough and I think you addressed that really well at the end of your book and saying like it's not but you also list like here we don't know about all the possibilities that are going to happen if if this if this happens and but I'm curious like is banking going to continue to fail the poorest people in the world? Like, are we going to fix financial institutions? You know, because like, I think it's an issue even here in the U.S., not just in other parts of the world. So I don't know if I'm not trying to set you up. I don't have a, I'm just, yeah. No, no, no. You're, you've, you've hit, I think you really hit the nail on the head. And, you know, it's, it's something that we talk a lot here. The organization is called Women's World Banking. And I'm, I'm not sure whether the banking industry just has, has so, you know, has tied itself in so many knots is now is misbehaves at every opportunity that it needs this all this regulation is imposed on it. So I'm personally really optimistic and excited about some of the fintech models that we're seeing. But what what does worry me a lot is 
how many how many fintech companies we we get to know. Um, Women's World Banking has two impact investment funds that we manage, and we've the second fund has been making some really interesting investments in fintechs. They come with a really clear vision to serve that population talking about Daniel, the underserved population. But by the time they start getting to their series B, series C um, rounds where growth and scale are you know, all about what, what they need to deliver, then I'm afraid that they're going to move away. And so I think mm-hmm. we have to start really talking to those capital providers getting them on board about as much as, you know, it's not, it's not even the banks any longer. You know, our investment funds are doing all we can. That was really the reason behind our, um, our deciding to go down the path as an investor. But, you know, there's, there's a lot more capital out there that needs to be allowing those businesses to stay true to that original mission of serving the underserved. Okay. Cool. Yeah, this kid, it's the thing. I'm curious, do you, have you, what do you think about Rutger Bregman? You know, the, do you know who he is? He's a Dutch economist. He taught, his catch thing is he says, you know, we have to stop talking about oh, philanthropy. Yeah, yeah we have to stop talking about philanthropy and start talking about taxes. And so I just think that, you know, I was, when I, when I was reading through your, your, your book, I thought, oh, you know, like there are these convert, I, I see there's beginnings of dialogues there, including women, I think, solve some of these systemic things. But I imagine you similar in your dialogues and your work, you guys are, are talking about this, but I missed, you know, didn't know if you knew about him or what your thoughts on that are. You might be a bleeding like pinko bastard, you know, or something like that. I don't know, but. <laughs> I think I think he's the one who's always calling people out at Davos and saying like yeah. inappropriate. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, 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 coming back to me. I, you know, I can tell you where, where it's intersected in, in, in my life and in my yeah. work. You know, when and we have a lot of wonderful corporate partners who, um, you know, who, who ever since, you know, mobile money and digital finance became the way we're getting finance into the hands of underserved people, really opened the playing field for like anybody who has mm-hmm. kind of a, a supply line into that woman's life is kind of fair game for providing some kind of financial service. And if they come to me from the business and they talk about, we wanna work with you to you know, expand our client you know, portfolio, or we have a product that's serving men, but not women or whatever. If they're talking about it from the business, then I feel like I can take them seriously. But if they're only talking about it from CSR, not going to be sustainable. I'm not saying that there, I, I, I do think that there is a role for philanthropy. I do think there are um, causes and investments that do need that capital that is not looking for a financial return. But I also think that too many important real world problems, real world challenges are, are being dealt with out of philanthropic pools of money and they need to be centered in the business all right yeah. so something that like spoke to me so uh, like my back I'm a commercial actress and um I love when you talked about and I love like the power of entertainment and how it was showing women through like the telenovelas or like the the commercials of just like oh you're hiding your money under your mattress and then your husband finds it and then throws a big party <laughs> I was right. laughing so hard. That's what I do with my wife's money. Stop. <laughs> I'm a teller. I like his wife. 
Anyways, <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting, like a different way that women need to be spoken to and included and like the power of representation, you know, because I feel like, like I brought up Wolf of Wall Street earlier, is just like, it's a male dominated industry. And just like having women like you and powers um, of position who make the decisions is so important. It's so important. And just like having trying to find ways to speak to women through either these, these shows or these commercials, or even just like that Netflix show made, even if it happens like in our, in oh, our society was now, really that powerful. was a powerful, powerful thing. And just like thinking, oh, she had never even gone through the bureaucracy of having any kind of identification or like having a cell phone. Like, I love how you talk about like equality can be found by like just having a simple mobile device. Like as we become more of like a technological, you know, world, it's not just being seen in the global North. Like there's access to cell phones all over now and, and like SIM card technology. I think that is just really, really important. Yeah, no, it's, it's really access to that smartphone technology is, is the gateway. You know, it's, it's almost being taken as a, um, you know, as a, as a given or, or as a must have. Um, and unfortunately there's still, you know, an 18% gender gap in, yeah. in smartphone ownership. That was a real disappointment. Um, we've made some real progress during, during COVID. Um, phone ownership has some real cultural norms. You know, fathers don't want their unmarried daughters to have access to phones and all of that. When the whole world shifted into digital, a lot of that, you know, we just kind of leapfrogged over it. But then um, the Industry Association for, you know, mobile phones, the GSMA just released their their uh, gender gap report about two weeks ago. And looks like that that progress has really, really stalled and slowed down again. So it was really disappointing to, to see that. But, you know, the good news is once the women get the technology in their hands and are confident using it. The, so the skills and the capability to the point you were making, Ria, is so important. They've got to feel comfortable using it. They never go back and their their yeah. adaptation and their usage is you know, absolutely on par with men's. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, I want to. we want to not take a lot of your time. So part of us wanting to do this is that I feel like people that spend their lives like academics or experts like you and think it's fair to ask them about what they really understand about what they do or something they know in the world. And so I'm really curious to ask. And so a lot, we get a lot of like people like, it's hard to want to say like, oh, I really understand or I really know something. But I'm curious what you what you know that you can like share in that way where it's like, okay, I, I'm really certain about this one thing. I know this this thing and I think it's important to say it. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I definitely would be, so, you know, in 2015 yeah. when the, the UN was, deciding about the sustainable development goals. There was a huge debate whether financial inclusion should be one of the goals. And the decision was taken, and I agree with this, that it actually isn't a goal itself, but it's a means to an end. And actually there are sort of specific targets in seven of the goals that are linked to financial inclusion. And so the thing I really know is that we are not going to achieve any of those goals unless we take the time and are deliberate about including women and making sure that women have 
access and not just access, but can use and use confidently the yeah. full range of financial. I love that. Wow, you give me chills. You say you did good. What is something you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Oh, well, that's, you know, part of, I've been in, I, I've been in women's world banking for 15 years, 16 years coming up. Um, and I think part of the reason I, I'd say is because I'm always excited about pretty much everything. I'd say the thing that really has me jazzed right now is I've been so impressed by the impact that we're able to have as an investor inside companies. You know, um, we had done some research gosh, I guess it would be about 12, 13 years ago that we looked at 39 microfinance institutions that had gone from being, you know, NGOs or nonprofit organizations to being regulated, full-fledged banks. And we found that at the, the sort of time zero, the day that the board made the decision to become a regulated bank, they had on average 86% women clients. And by four years later, so they'd made the transition to becoming a, a, a for-profit bank, they were down to 59% women clients. Mm. And if they had a woman CEO or a woman chair of the board, they were gone. You couldn't have women leaders now that you were a bank somehow. And so we chose to become an investor in order to make sure that just because you were bringing in outside capital, that didn't have to happen, that shift away from women clients and women leaders didn't have to happen. And so I've seen what we've been able to do on average from the time of our investment to either the exit from the investment or, or to date for those investments we haven't exited yet, we've had an 83% increase in women clients in our wow. investing companies. We, so we are really driving that change. So what I'm very excited about is doing a fund here in States around women's economic empowerment here right. and investing in you know, fintech and other sort of technology enabled, because here in the United States, it's it's more about, you know, financial health than mm -hmm. about financial inclusion. 97% of Americans have a bank account. There's actually a, re a slight reverse gender gap. More women have bank accounts than men. In oh. the States. But yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's interesting. But then, you know, the, the wage gap, you know, we say it's 80 cents, but that's, you know, white women versus yeah. white men. Soon as you add ethnicity, color, mm -hmm. those numbers just plummet. And then they're even more appalling when you look at things like home ownership, business yeah. ownership, yeah. you know, just general wealth ownership. So, and there's some really interesting businesses now that are starting to, uh, uh, you know, attack these issues. There's some fascinating work being done in um, like in credit scoring, um, you know, most many men your rental payment, even if it's, you know, on time is not reflected in the credit mm -hmm. score that goes to a bank when you try yeah. to get a mortgage. And so there's companies actually, um, uh, Serena Williams just took a, a stake in one of them that if, you know, you, for a, a monthly fee, they make sure that your on-time rental payment makes it into that, that credit oh. score. And it on average increases your credit score by 50 points. That part actually really stood out to me. You were saying like utilities or your phone payment, if they're being paid, they should go towards your exactly. rental payment, not, not how much you're paying on a credit card or like a mortgage. I thought that was really fascinating. Right. That made a and it sounds like you read the, the text made a huge difference here in the United States in terms of people being eligible 
you know, for credit and, and you know, other financial services. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about getting to know how those issues work here in the United States. So that's, that's a big part of my, uh, my excitement right now. Are, are you going to target specific areas like communities, like meaning like, you know, are you going to be like in Alabama or like, you know, go, you know, to poor counties in Georgia? I mean, is, it, is there, is it targeted or is it more policy related? I'm just curious. No, I think, you know, I, I, I don't know how geographic the, okay. the, mm-hmm. the target will be, but, you know, it's funny you use the, you use the Alabama as the yes. example. I was, I was on a panel with a, a guy who owns um, a bunch of small, banks, small outlets in Alabama. And he said, there are more payday lenders, like storefront payday lenders in Alabama than Burger King, McDonald's oh. and Wendy's combined. You know, they're just, they're just preying on, and the and women are absolutely the target customer. So these there's are the a great check cashing things. Do yeah. the check cashing things? Those things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's really a there's clearly a, an unmet need there. Yeah. Um, so I so so my 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 long winded answer to you is yes, we will be. Where the business will be located, I, I don't know yet. <laughs> so. And I know we didn't touch on it. Something that I, we were kind of curious what your thoughts were on cryptocurrencies. I know that's kind of like a ah. I kind I want to. I'm curious what you think. Well, just because with mobile money, because yeah. we use a lot of like in the work we do in East Africa, like mobile money is huge. Yeah, we like, use that in Pesa, yeah, yes. and everything. So, yeah. but I I'm I see their future being crypto solving some of being an even better solution for moving money around in, in, in those markets. So I don't know if that's, you guys have to be talking about it, I imagine in some way or another. No, we are. And I, I, frankly, I, I'd love to hear more about your vision because I got to say yeah. right now we're struggling a little mm-hmm. bit to see uh, how, you know, it, it just feels like these are the most vulnerable clients. And so putting them into anything and then, you know, and then to see the dec- decline in mm-hmm. stable coin, I, I, like you can't call it stable coin if it's going to yeah. crash, <laughs> you know, the stability of that currency that, that, that they're operating in. That said, um, you know, I am very excited about some of the blockchain solutions that might be possible because to the point you were both making earlier around ID, you know, mm-hmm. blockchain allows you to have, you know, a unique ID of sender, unique ID of receiver. Um, mm-hmm. There's some really interesting work being done by, um, you know, a, a couple of companies in, in terms of um, sending money to refugees, providing um, refugee relief because they, they may not have, they certainly don't have bank accounts. They may not have the right ID identification, um, but a, a crypto currency sent along a blockchain, you know, kind of leapfrogs over that. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's something kind of philosophically almost about crypto that yeah. should make sense. It's, you know, it's a community. There's no middleman. It's, it's peer to peer. And, you know, pretty much every country we work in, women are, you know, perhaps they're in the formal financial system, but they are also informally saving to their savings and savings groups are very, very popular. And so I, there's a part of me that says the 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 bones or the, you know, the, 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 the philosophy of crypto will make sense for women. We just absolutely have to make sure that they're not made more vulnerable right. by, by it. 
And I thought a lot of that is education, which you talk about a lot, is educating women on being able to use these services or being able to use technology. Right. So I feel like educating women, and like, I love that. Every year, girls in school, you know, it just is beneficial to so many. And like, that's kind of our big thing is we want to make sure girls are go to school, stay in school and can succeed because they have great ideas. Yeah, We have great ideas, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Kind of just to, because I don't, you know, I, I know you in terms of reading about you and reading your book, but I'd be curious to hear more like, you know, about you, like, you know, what's your favorite color or where you, <laughs> where you grew up, like things like that. Um, I, I think that the pieces of my background that, you know, may be interested, interesting to your, your listeners, I'm sort of first generation on both sides. My oh. mother um, was from Italy. My father was from Turkey and they met here in the United States and, okay. and, and stayed in the U.S. They were both in school. And I think I was really, really very lucky. My brother, sister and I were very, very fortunate to have, um, you know, to have that cross uh, cross-cultural um, understanding in our own home. My, my father's family is Armenian. And that was another kind of interesting background. Um, Armenians in Turkey are still, you know, very, very small percentage, very, very fierce, um, you know, holding on to the, the memory of, of the, the 1915 genocide. And that was a very sort of big part of who my family was, and I've always given my mother great, great credit because she, it was really important to her that we understand that part of our, our background, even though it wasn't necessarily her background. And mm, so that beautiful. was the, yeah. So that was a, a really important part of, of who I, I was growing up. You know, I, I think that, that um, I really, really wanted to go to the Georgetown School of Foreign Service. And I wanted a, I wanted a, a an international career. We had traveled quite a bit to Turkey and elsewhere when I, I was growing up. And I was raised by my mother was very, very strict Catholic. And then I brought her to, to Georgetown. And she saw that there were fixes on all of the classrooms that that was, that was what solved it. And she got her over the, got her over the line. So um, I, I was able to go into the, to the school I wanted to go to and um, had a, a background in development economics. Oh. Um, there and studied development economics. I then took a much more sort of traditional finance path. I was a foreign exchange trader coming out of college at Bank of America. And my family is convinced to this day that all I really learned to do was very um, extensive cursing um, because I had to have that skill set on the trading floor. And <laughs> extensive cursing. Yeah. Lots of misbehaving people, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, I went to, um, I went into, I went to the the dearly departed Lehman Brothers and worked primarily in M and A, coming out of business school. You know, mainstream finance and financial decisions and how they impact people's lives. The story that I often tell that was kind of my my come to Jesus moment was. I, it was the first deal that I worked on that I wasn't the most junior person. And I had a, an analyst working with me and we'd been hired by a client of the firm to identify some acquisition candidates. It was a trucking firm and they were looking for a company to buy. And he had done a very extensive model 
looking at balance sheets, what would the combined companies look like? And I was checking it out the day before we were going to go see the client. And at the bottom of his row of you know, different combina business combinations was this number that kept changing. And I was like, what, what's that? What's that plug figure? And he, he said, that's the number of people that would have to be fired at each company in order to make the deal work. Oh my goodness. And it was like, whoa, this is not what I went into finance to do. And I then really feel like it was so fortuitous. I went on another deal with a woman who had previously been at the World Bank and she had run what they call their young professionals program, which is sort of the entry level program. They always hire, you know, PhD economists, which I wasn't. But when I was talking about really what I wanted to do, she said, you know, I'm I would give it a try. You've got an unusual background. The MBA is important. Um, and to my amazement, I did get into the program. And then four months later, the Berlin Wall fell and all of the finance had became incredibly valuable and important. And I worked for the next eight years in Eastern Europe. I used to say, once they finally put a decent hotel in the capital city, I would get a call from my boss that I had to go further east. <laughs> you know, for the next um, but it was it was amazing and a moment in history, particularly in Eastern Europe, because you could yeah. see that you know these were people who had a history. You know, they would always bring out. And I remember to this day in Poland, what used to be Czechoslovakia, these really old lawyers. They would shuffle them out, and they had been the big securities lawyers of the time, you know, before communism, and they still had, you know, they still had the muscle, um, very different in the Soviet Union, you know, there had never mm -hmm. really been a market there, and did a lot of work in Ukraine, for example. Um, so it was, it was building from scratch there in, in a really important way. But that was really where I first saw finance, having the possibility of helping people, you know, realize their dreams and be who they wanted to, who they wanted to be and, you know, never really seeing a bank as a partner in any yeah. of that prior. And it was always something that I kind of hoped was true, but then I really got to see it come to life. And, you know, then I worked, I worked in Latin America for a while. I was, um, I was the regional director for the International Finance Corporation, which my fourth day on the job was 9-11. And oh my so goodness. I spent actually most of yeah. Uh, in Pakistan, actually, because I was responsible for both um, India and Pakistan, but I was living in Delhi, uh, and it was the first the first investment that the IFC made post 9/11 in Pakistan was the first microfinance bank with the Aga Khan Foundation, oh. and so it was really a moment of you know finance carries a message and can carry a vision of hope for people very, very different from other messages that were, uh, you know, being espoused at the time, you know, a lot of war and revenge. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a really, you know, sort of a journey, I guess, and going from sort of more mainstream finance to finance really playing a, a, a role for, of good in people's lives. Um, but I did start to feel as I was moving up in the ranks of the bank that I was getting farther and farther away from those people. My job as a boss was to kind of spread my wings and protect all the, the folks beneath me. Um, but then I was farther and farther away. So I had a headhunter call from Women's World Banking and it just looked like it made a lot of sense to get oh. close to the, the women in the field, grassroots. I'm still so grateful to the board that they took a chance on me because I... <laughs> 
to this day, I, it's like my I'm talking good Catholic girl again. We okay. know I'm paying my penance <laughs> that I never once, I never once asked a bank how many women clients they had, how many women um, entrepreneurs they were funding. Never asked any of the venture capital funds that we put money into. You know, were they seeding women's businesses? And you know, within a matter of weeks here at Women's World Banking, it became so clear that women are doing you know so much of the heavy lifting of economic mm -hmm. development, let alone the the health and prosperity and security of their own their own households. So it's been it's like one of those things. Once you see it, you can't unsee. Yeah, and it's it's been um, it's really been a wonderful journey ever since. Yeah, there must have been a must have been like a learning curve, like in okay. terms of like seeing okay. the Wizard of getting the Wizard of Oz revealed <laughs> to you or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, that's a real it's a great great metaphor. <laughs> It was a beautiful journey because to me, it seemed like what opened your eyes and what opened my eyes, especially coming over to the nonprofit sector was traveling and seeing, like actually seeing, because there's so much you could read about or videos or any of those things. But I feel like being there and meeting those people, meeting these women, you know, like it's first off, I think women can change the world anyway. That's just my thing. We're really good at multitasking. We're really good at building relationships. We know how to take care of people. And so I just, that's what I love so much about your book. It's like, yes, let women be included because we will get things done. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. No, and it just, it got to be like almost repetitive, mm -hmm. but you know, anything you hear this often, there has to be some truth in it. Like you talk to women and, you know, you'd ask them about the success of their business and what they wanted to tell you was how many of their kids had gone through school, that their son, you know, was now a doctor. They, their, their success, and not detracting at all from the success of the business, but the way they measured it was in what they'd been able to do for their families. And that was just so, you know, just such an eye opener. Well, I, I don't want to take more of your time, but to your crypto question, I don't know if this will make our thing, but I, I think that there's a world and other people talk about this. So I'm saying it's like we use Western Union to send money all over the place still. And it's it need, it's like archaic. I want to break up with them so badly, like all the time. <laughs> well, what do we use? No, and yeah. they, no, and they really, sh they should be broken up with badly. I <laughs> But in terms of like moving capital, I think yeah. like there's a world where I can see and we've experimented with it where it's like, I think you could theoretically take crypto and move it to local people on the ground in really remote places and have it turn into development projects and, you know, in a, in a broad sense like that. And I, and I, I'm excited for that possibility where you can actually do that. And, um, and then it'd be a way of, cause the problem is like, there are some communities we work with that aren't involved in the banking, right? And they're, they're like, and this is where we would use more money, money, but I'd be curious if there'd be in a way even where we can then interact with a local community to fund them via crypto. And then they can work with the engineers we connect them with and fund them through crypto. And then at some point it has to be liquidatable for someone on one end because it's not stable enough. But in an experimental way, I think that there, I, I've, I've fantasies of there being that world. I mean, obviously like the dot-com, it could just tank, but you know. And you know, I think so many of the, the solutions and the articles that I've read about, you know, is crypto um, a solution for financial inclusion? It's coming from somebody who's flogging crypto. You know, it's, uh. I, think, I, I think somebody that you're coming at it from the development perspective and how crypto could 
uh, could address it would be you know would be revolutionary because I, I and mm-hmm. it's both sides of that dialogue are not are not taking place. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. No. no well, I cool. really love your optimism. That is what's. <laughs> that's what I love is your optimism because it's so easy to be bogged down by oh the glass ceiling that's never going to be broken through oh like all of these things. But to me, what I heard from your story and just from speaking to you is your optimism well, that you are you. optimistic that women will be included and represented and it will change the world. <laughs> it really is, and it it, feel, it does feel like a solvable problem you know it really does so i'm okay, it's cool. being optimistic for mary it was so nice <laughs> you're like right, so important i love pleasure. how like down to earth and like awesome you are i love it oh, thank you thank you not so important but thank you very very much <laughs> and i'm really glad we moved out here and i can stand and use my hands and so yeah, yeah it's okay. great awesome. thank you so much thank you great. take care bye in touch bye-bye At Global Partners for Development, our mission is to advance community-led initiatives that improve education and public health in East Africa. We envision a world in which every East African community has the capacity to implement dynamic, sustainable solutions to the challenges they face. To learn more, visit gpfd.org.